وَأَخْرَجْنَا مِنْهَا حَبًّا فَمِنْهُ يَأْكُلُونَ وَجَعَلْنَا فِيهَا جَنَّاتٍ مِنْ نَخِيلٍ وَأَعْنَابٍ وَفَجَّرْنَا فِيهَا مِنَ الْعُيُونِ لِيَأْكُلُوا مِنْ ثَمَرِهِ وَمَا عَمِلَتْهُ أَيْدِيهِمْ أَفَلَا يَشْكُرُونَ سبحان الذي خلق الأزواج كلها مما تنبت الأرض ومن أنفسهم ومن أنفسهم ومما لا يعلمون السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين Alhamdulillah, thank you guys for joining me this morning for uh, another morning remembrances uh, discussion uh, So this morning, inshallah ta'ala, we're going to cover a dua, a dua that I'm pretty sure that many of you, many of you have heard before. Uh, it's a long, pretty extensive dua, not that long, but it, it can seem long. Uh, you usually hear this dua recited in the kunut during Ramadan. During Ramadan, and this is a very important for those of you who may be new Muslims, who may have experienced Ramadan this year as your first Ramadan, or you may have taken shahada recently, and you are going to experience, inshallah, Ramadan coming up next year. But first, but let me begin by saying, alhamdulillah, today is the first day of Muharram which is the first day on the Islamic calendar for the year 1444. We are now today is the first day of the year 1444 after Hijrah, after the Prophet ﷺ made Hijrah to Medina. So the Islamic calendar starts from the first year that the Prophet ﷺ was in Medina. So it has been uh, over a little over a millennium right, a little over a thousand years that the Prophet ﷺ migrated from Mecca to Medina, and um, today is the first day on the Islamic calendar uh, for the year 1444. So we pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has decreed for us, you know, a good year, has decreed for us good health, has decreed for us an increase in faith, has decreed for us all that is good, uh, in this life and in the hereafter, and that if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has decreed for any of us to depart from this world within this year, that we depart from this world while he is pleased with us. Us, we are pleased with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala being pleased with us. We ask that if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has decreed for any of us, this is our yet last year on this earth, that we pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when he decides to take our souls, that he takes our souls while he is pleased with us and we being pleased with him, subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the dua that I'm going to cover this morning is the dua that is recited in the kunut during Ramadan. And I'll recite the kunut first, I'll recite the dua first, and then we'll go through the dua line for line so that inshallah ta'ala come next Ramadan and you hear this dua recited during the kunut, you'll have a general idea of what is actually being said. The dilemma of many of us who are converts to Islam or those of us who are born and raised Muslim, but don't know the Arabic language is that we, uh, in Ramadan, we might listen to the whole entire Qur'an being recited night after night. We go to the masjid, we hear the Qur'an being recited every single night, yet we do not know what is actually being said because we don't know the Arabic language. And many who know the Arabic language don't know what's being said. Quiet is kept, being honest with you. Just because a person speaks Arabic, just because a person's native language or native tongue is Arabic does not mean that when they stand for the salat, they understand everything that is being said. Nine times out of 10, they are just as oblivious as any one of you who does not know the Arabic language. I promise you. Because the Arabic that they know is not the Arabic of the Quran. The Arabic that they know is the Arabic from their culture, Arabic from you know where wherever they learned Arabic, but it was not the same Arabic that is in the Quran. So don't think that because a person is an Arab or a person's native tongue is Arabic, 
that when they stand for the Salat in Ramadan, that they understand everything that's being said. They don't. Many of them have memorized large portions of the Quran and are just as oblivious to the surahs that they have memorized as you are. So don't ever feel like, well, you know, they have an advantage because they are Arabs. And so therefore they understand the Arabic language better than you do. They don't. They don't understand the Arabic language any more than you do. All right. But it is very important that, you know, during Ramadan or before Ramadan, that we are familiar with certain things so that when we hear them, we understand what is being said. Like some of the dua that is being, you know, that is uh, that the imam may say after Jumu'ah, you know, Rabbana atina fi dunya hasana wa fil akhirati hasana wa qina adab al-nar. Oh Allah, we ask you for the good of this life and the good of the hereafter and to save us from the hellfire. Just, you know, small phrases and terminologies that we are familiar with because we hear them often. And then we're able to say ameen afterwards, which means Allahumma istajib. If you didn't know, Amin is not like the Christian's Amen, right? Christian Amen is one thing. The Arabic phrase Amin does not mean the same thing as Amen. Amin means Allahumma istajib. Oh Allah, respond. That's what you. That's what is. That is what is meant when you say Amin. When a person makes the dua and you say Amin, you are saying, Oh Allah, respond. Oh Allah, answer it. All right. And this is why some scholars or some imams, when they make dua, they may tell you, say, I mean, say, I mean, I'm making dua, say, I mean, because it means, oh, Allah respond. All right. So the dua that we usually hear is that the imam, he usually raises his hand and the people behind him raise their hands and he begins with the dua. Allahumma qsim lana min khashyatika ma ta'ulu bihi baynana wa bayna ma'asiyatik. ومن طاعتك ما تبلغنا به جنتك ومن اليقين ما تهون به علينا مصائب الدنيا ومتعنا اللهم بأسماعنا وأبصارنا وقواتنا أبدا ما أبقيتنا وجعله الوارث منا وجعل ثأرنا على من ظلمنا وانصرنا على من عادانا ولا تجعل مصيبتنا في ديننا ولا تجعل الدنيا أكبر همنا ولا مبلغ علمنا ولا إلى النار مصيرنا واجعل الجنة هي دارنا ولا تصلت علينا بذنوبنا من لا يخافك فينا ولا يرحمنا برحمتك يا أرحم الراحمين. This dua was collected in the jamia of Imam Tirmidhi on the authority of Abdullah ibn Umar رضي الله عنه. Abdullah ibn Umar he narrated. كان فلما كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يقوم من مجلس حتى يدعو بهؤلاء الدعوات عبد الله بن عمر رضي الله عنه he said that it was rare that the prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم would get up from a gathering with his companions except that he would make dua for them with these particular supplications so this was one of the dua what is called um you know, the dua of majlis. There's another dua, kafarat al-majlis, the dua of the Prophet Sallallahu that he would make when he would get up from a gap, right? Subhanaka lahumma wa bihamdik, ashadu an la ilaha ila anta, astaghfiruka wa atubu ilik. That is what is called dua kafarat al-majlis, right? This is the dua that you make to after you finish your gathering to make sure that any mistakes backbiting or any any mistakes that you made during that conversation that you are forgiven for all right that is what's called kafarat al-majlis all right and that is the dua that the prophet sallallahu would make when he would get up from a gathering to ask allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for forgiveness for any mistakes or shortcomings that were made during that particular gathering you know when you gather with friends when you're sitting around talking with friends there are a lot of mistakes that are made. 
there are a lot of mistakes that are made. Sometimes we mention people's names. Sometimes we mention situations about people that other people are aware of. So it still falls under the category of backbiting to some degree. Sometimes we, min we may uh, you know, err by mentioning something that we heard that may not necessarily be true. We, we might, you know, teeter along, you know, other acts of sin and disobedience. So when you're meeting with people and you're having a gathering with people, we oftentimes make a lot of mistakes, all right? We commit a lot of sin in, in many of our gatherings. You know, sometimes we're gathering for the purpose of sin, right? We gather sometimes for the purpose of sin and disobedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it's always, you know, it's always good for us to be cognizant of the fact that we do this and that at the end of that conversation before we get up and we part ways that we supplicate to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to remove or to forgive us for any mistakes that we made during this particular gathering. So Abdullah ibn Umar who he said that it was rare that the Prophet وسلم, would get up from a gathering except that he would supplicate with these dua, with these supplications as he got up for himself and for his companions for himself and for his companions. So the first line of the dua, Allahumma qsim lana min khashyatik ma tuhulu bihi baynana wa bayna ma'asiyatik. Oh Allah, distribute for us enough fear of you. Distribute to us enough fear of you that would protect us from disobeying, that would come in between us and our disobedience to you. That's the first line. Allahumma qsim lana min khashyatik. Oh Allah, distribute a portion for us. Distribute for us some of, min khashyatik, some of the fear of you. Some portion, some degree, some level of fear of you. Ma tahulu bihi baynana wa bayna ma'asiyatik that will come in between us and our disobedience to you. And this is because the heart, as the scholars say, is medical a'da, that the heart is the king of the other faculties, of the other body parts. The, the heart is the king of all of the other faculties and body parts that we have. If the heart is filled with fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then the other body parts will fall in line, including your tongue. The Prophet said that in the body there is a lump of flesh. If it is healthy, if it is righteous, if it is sound, then the rest of the body will be healthy, righteous, sound. And if it is corrupt and unhealthy and unrighteous, then the rest of the body will be corrupt, unhealthy, and unrighteous. And indeed, that lump of flesh is the heart. That lump of flesh is the heart. So the Prophet Sallallahu the first thing he asked for is for Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala to apportion for him, to distribute to him the, the degree of Khashya, the degree of fear of him that is necessary to protect him from disobeying him. And so if you want to stop disobeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the starting place for that is to have some level of fear of God. Not fear of punishment. That is where we go wrong. It is not the fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala punishing us. It is the fear that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will be disappointed with us. It's reverence, not a fear that if I do this, Allah is going to punish me. No, if I do this, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to see me, is going to be disappointed in me. You understand the difference? It's reverence. I don't want to do something in front of that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would see me and be disappointed in me. I don't want God to be disappointed in me. Not that I'm fearing Allah in that he's going to punish me if I do this. Although that is a way of looking at it, but that is not the intended meaning when we talk about khashatillah, the fear of Allah. 
We're talking about fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, seeing you do something. It's what's called haya, amam Allah. To have haya, to have modesty, to have shyness in front of God, right? As, as one of the scholars, he a uh, young man came to him and said he had a problem disobeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He had a problem disobeying Allah. And so the man, you know, this particular scholar, he said to him, he said, well, the next time your soul calls you to disobey Allah, then obey Allah, then obey your desires. But before you obey your desires, I want you to think about five things. The next time you decide to disobey Allah, then don't live on his earth. The young man said, well, all of the earth belongs to God. Where would I go? He said, well, don't you feel at least the least bit of shyness and embarrassment that you would disobey Allah and still continue to live on his earth? That is what is meant by khashatillah, the fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, reverence of Allah, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would see you out of pocket, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would see you in an act of disobedience to him and be displeased with you and be dis disappointed with you. So he said, Allahumma qsim lana min khashitik. Oh Allah, a portion for us. Distribute to us enough fear of you that will cause us to stop sinning or diso that will come in between us and disobedience to you. And give us enough of obedience to you that will allow us to reach your paradise. Give us enough obedience to you that will allow us to reach your paradise. And give, me, give us enough obedience to you that will allow us to enter into your paradise. The Prophet said, All of my ummah, anyone who says, La ilaha illallah, Muhammad Rasulullah, will enter into paradise. Except those who refuse. All of my ummah will enter into paradise except those who refuse. The Sahaba said, Ya Rasulullah, who would ever refuse to enter into paradise? The Prophet said, He who obeys me will enter into paradise. And he who refuses to obey me is those who refuse to enter into paradise. And proportion or give for us, a portion for us, some of your obedience, obedience to you that will allow us to reach your paradise. And give us or distribute to us the yaqeen, the certainty that we need to make the life lessons and trials and tribulations seem like they are insignificant. And give us enough certainty to make the difficulties of this world easy for us. Why yaqeen? Why certainty? Certainty in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's divine decree. When you are certain that everything that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has decreed for you, then there was no way around it. When you are certain that everything that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has decreed for you has wisdom and is there to aid you and assist you not to break you or destroy you, then it makes the trials and tribulations that you encounter very easy to handle. It makes the trials and tribulations that you experience or that you encounter in life, it makes it very easy for you to endure because you have yaqeen, you have certainty. You know that it's from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and there was nothing that you could have done to avoid it and that you know that there is some deep wisdom embedded in the trial no matter how difficult it may seem. You know that there's some hikmah. Because you know that Al-Hakim is one of Allah's names and Hikmah is one of Allah's attributes and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala never does anything except that there is Hikmah, there is wisdom in it. Whether we see it or we don't see it. Whether we see it or we don't see it. Sometimes Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not allow us to see the Hikmah in the things that he decrees for us. 
because it is not time for us. We don't have the capacity mentally, spiritually, emotionally, wherein to understand and process the hikmah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. His wisdom is far too deep for many of us to understand. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't even bother exposing it to us because we can't handle it anymore. And then sometimes out of his rahmah, out of his mercy, he allows us, he gives us a peek, he gives us a window into his wisdom. He gives us a peek into his wisdom, subhanahu wa ta'ala, which helps us to, you know, to relax and to be, you know, peaceful and to be at ease with our trial. There is nothing that is more merciful for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala towards us than for us to be at ease and at peace with the trials and tribulations that he has tested, he has decreed for us because he has given us a window into his wisdom. You ever been tested with something? And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives you a window into his mercy, into a window into his wisdom behind it. And you're like, oh, okay, I see it. I got it. Okay, cool. I can handle this. I can handle this because I can see the wisdom in it. So we ask, he asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, wa mina yaqini, and a portion for us, distribute to us the yaqeen, the certainty that is necessary for us to make the trials and tribulations of life insignificant in our eyes. Make it easy for us. And give for us enough certainty to make the difficulties of this world easy for us. There are many people who crumble under the weight of the trials and tribulations of life because they cannot see anything beyond the trial that is staring them right in their face. They can't see anything beyond the trial, the tribulation that is staring them right in their face. And then there are those of us who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has granted through his mercy, through his wisdom, some yaqeen, some certainty that we know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not test us with this to break us, to destroy us, to crush our spirit. But he blessed us with this. He tested us with this to strengthen us, to strengthen our faith, to strengthen our faith in him, subhanahu wa ta'ala. And because the trial and tribulation that he is giving us is preparing us for another trial and tribulation. Did you know that? Did you know that the trials and tribulations that God gives us is only preparing us for a greater trial and tribulation that awaits us. That within itself is mercy. That within itself is compassion and mercy from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he is the most merciful of those who have mercy. Then the Prophet sallallahu segues into another portion of the dua. And let us enjoy our hearing, our sight, and our strength so as long as you allow us to live. Oh Allah, allow us to enjoy our hearing. Allow us to enjoy our sight, allow us to enjoy our hearing, allow us to enjoy our strength, so as long as we are alive. And those of our elders that are listening, you understand the importance of that, because you may not have the eyesight or the hearing or the physical strength that you once had in your life. And you can see how it begins to affect your ability to serve Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the very reason that you were created. I personally, me personally, I don't want to live if I have to, you know, if, if, if I have to rely on my children to bathe me and wash me and, you know, change my clothes and do my hair. I, 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 I'm ready to check out at that point. <laughs> I'm a very independent person. I have been independent for many years of my life, probably since I've been around 14 years old. I'm a very independent person. 
And the last thing that I would want in my life is for me to have reached a point in my life when I can no longer do for myself. I don't ever want to be helpless. You know what that feels like? SubhanAllah, to be helpless, that you can't do for yourself, you no longer have the strength and you have to rely on your children or your family members to wash you and to change your clothes and to do your hair and to feed you. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that we return you, you know, we created the human being, you know, in infancy and then he grows in strength. And then he returns back to infancy like we created him the first time. These are the different stages of life that human beings, if they live long enough, you know, go through. And so the Prophet ﷺ is supplicating here. And allow us to enjoy our sight. Allow us to enjoy our hearing. Allow us to enjoy our strength, our physical strength, so as long as we are alive. And why did the Prophet ﷺ single out these things? Is because these are the faculties that we most need to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You need your hearing, you need your sight, you need your strength to serve Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And to lose those things, not necessarily lose them in the physical sense, but to lose them in the spiritual sense is a sign that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is misguiding you. What did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say about the disbelievers? You become the source of someone's blessing by taking care of you? Yes, that's true. But what about you? It's almost as if you're taking the power away from the person. I don't want to live like that. If that's the way that I have to continue living my life, I do not want to live like that. I would much rather go once I don't have the power. And this is why the Prophet is supplicating for this. There's a reason why the Prophet ﷺ is supplicating for this. Because it's important to every human being. No human being wants to be an Allah, you know, wants to be, you know, um, Someone that is reliant on another human being. You know what I mean? Not to mention, you know, relying on another human being starts to conflict with your tawakkul on Allah, your reliance on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I don't ever want to have to rely on another human being. That's just me personally. I can't speak for everybody else. But for me personally, I don't ever want to have to rely on another human being. The Prophet Sallallahu used to supplicate and ask Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala for al-ghina. Al-ghina doesn't necessarily mean riches or wealth. It means self-sufficiency. Allahumma inni as'aluka al-huda wa-tuqa wa-al-thafa wa-al-ghina. And I ask you for self-sufficiency. I want to be able to do it myself. I don't want to have to be able to rely on another human being. Self-sufficiency is a blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You don't ever want to have to rely on another human being. Sometimes Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala facilitates our success in this life or facilitates our needs through other human beings. That's one thing. But to have to rely, meaning I cannot move forward unless you do this for me, la wallahi. La wallahi. Hmm. Alhamdulillah, throughout my entire life, I have never been sick. I have never been, you know, in the hospital. I've never had any surgery. I've nothing. Alhamdulillah. And I want my life to remain like that. I enjoy that. Right now, I have not one pain in my body. There is no part of my body that aches. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala heal anyone who is listening who may feel like I'm speaking from a place of privilege. I'm just kind of sharing that with you to show you how much of a blessing it is not to have to rely on something or someone other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That within itself is a blessing. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam supplicated, وَمَتِّعْنَ اللَّهُمَّ بِأَسْمَاءِنَا وَأَبْصَارِنَا وَقُوَّاتِنَا أَبْدًا مَا أَبْقَيْتَنَا 
Oh Allah, allow us to enjoy our hearing, our sight, and our strength so as long as we are alive. So as long as we are alive. Because to lose your sight and to lose your hearing, not in the physical sense, in the spiritual sense, is a sign that Allah has misguided you. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Allah has put a seal on their hearts. And upon their sight. Allah has put a, a, a seal on their hearts and on their hearing and placed a seal on their eyesight. And for them is a painful punishment. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us with the disbelievers, with people who refuse to serve him, even though they acknowledge him, that is what it means to be a disbeliever. A disbeliever doesn't mean that you disbelieve in God, that you don't believe God exists. A disbeliever is someone who acknowledges God's presence, but still refuses, for whatever reason, refuses to serve him. That is a disbeliever. That is the essence of a disbeliever. So some people may be listening and say, well, he's not talking to me. I believe in God. Being a disbeliever is, has very little to do with, you know, you believing in God. Even shaitan, Satan, believes in God. But that's not what makes him Satan. That's not what makes him shaitan al-rajim, the accursed devil. That's not what makes him shaitan is that he doesn't believe in God. As a matter of fact, he does believe in God. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the disbeliever is the person who acknowledges God's presence, acknowledges God's existence, yet still refuses to worship him. People who say, well, you know, first and, first, first and foremost, I want to thank God, but never have spent not even a moment in servitude to God. Not even a moment of their lives dedicated to servitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And these are the people who will deal with God's wrath, God's punishment, the worst. You get up in front of millions of people and you say, first and foremost, I want to thank God. <laughs> Without God, you know, nothing is possible. <laughs> Yet you get off the stage and you go back to living a sacrilegious lifestyle an ungodly lifestyle, but you get in front of people and you say you want to thank God. Man, subhanAllah, that's, man, that, you got a lot to deal with, man. What a mockery. What a mockery. So a disbeliever is not someone who doesn't believe in God. No, you may in fact believe in God, but you refuse to serve him even though you acknowledge his existence. And there are many, and there are Muslims that do that as well. Don't think that because we are Muslims that we are impervious to that. <laughs> Don't think that we are impervious to that. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that he put a seal on their hearts and on their sight and, uh, and on their hearing and then placed on their sight a rishawa, a covering, so they can't see Can you imagine, right, being able to see but not being able to see the signs that lead you to a greater appreciation for, 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 for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, for God? Can you imagine being able to hear and hear the word? Some of you might not be Muslim who are listening right now. Some of you might not be practicing Muslims and you're listening right now. You are hearing everything I'm saying, but the hearing doesn't go beyond the, the throat, <laughs> It does not reach your heart. You hear exactly what I'm saying, but it doesn't motivate you. It doesn't inspire you to become any more God conscious than what you are. So the Prophet said, And give us, allow us to enjoy our eyesight, our hearing, and our strength so as long as we live. And make it an inheritance for us, meaning make it something that we continue to enjoy and pass on to our children. 
And let our vengeance be upon those who have wronged us. And help us against those who have harmed us. We're asking Allah to help us against those who have harmed us. Help us against those who have harmed, harmed us, who have wronged us. And there is no help like the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You can grab a gun and you can go retaliate against somebody. Afterwards, you still got to deal with the consequences that come along with that. There is no, there is, you can't enjoy that type of vengeance. You can't enjoy that type of vengeance. But what you can enjoy is when you say, oh Allah, aid me against those who have wronged me. And then sit back and let Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, let God handle it. And then when you see that person's life spiraling out of control, when you see that person, the very thing that they took from you, whether it was your spirit, whether it was your money, whether it was your children, it doesn't matter, whatever they took from you, and you watch God use that very thing against them to make their lives miserable, to make them pay for the wrong and the injustice that they inflicted on you, and you don't have to do a day in jail, you don't have to suffer any consequences because you let God handle it. I just sit back and watch the movie. I grab my popcorn and I watch the movie because I know how this plays out. Nobody gets away with anything in this world or in the hereafter. Nobody, God sees all things, you understand? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is al-basir. He is the all-seer. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is al-adl. Allah is the fair and the just. Allah does not like oppression, which is the antithesis to God. If God is al-adl, if God is, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the most just and the most fair, and he loves fairness, and he loves justice, then that means that oppression and injustice is the antithesis to God. It is the enemy to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So anyone who is hell-bent on oppressing people and taking advantage of people, and you think that you're going to get away with it? La wallahi tallahi billahi. I swear by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you will never get away with it. It may not happen today, may not happen tomorrow, may not happen next year, may not even happen in my lifetime. But I know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, who tells us in many verses in the Quran that he does not like oppression, that he does not like injustice, that he is the truth, that he is the fair, and that he will rectify all matters. I trust that. I trust that more than I trust myself. Because sometimes in, we go, in, in us going out to get retribution, sometimes we go overboard. We don't know, we don't have a limit. When we're seeking vengeance, when we're seeking retribution, sometimes we go overboard. We go overboard and we go from being the victim to now being the villain, because we go overboard. We don't know, we don't have a boundary. We don't have a boundary, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is fair. And so therefore you turn it over to him. I'm going to let Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala handle that. I'm going to let God handle that. Because if I go after vengeance, if I go after retribution, I fear that I might go overboard. And what was once a right of mine, now I have to give to somebody else. I don't want that. So I'll let Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala handle it. <laughs> Help us against those who have oppressed us. And don't place any of our trials or afflictions in our religion. Test me in anything. Test me in my health. Test me in my wealth. Test me in anything. And my children do not test me in my deen. 
Don't test me in my religion. Don't test me in my faith. Don't test me in my faith. I don't ever want that. That is sacred. I don't ever want to be tested in my faith. I know people. I've been around a long time. I know Muslims who were students of knowledge in the university sat along with me at the feet of some of the greatest scholars in Saudi Arabia in our time, have had an opportunity that only a few have ever been selected or chosen to have that opportunity, sat at the feet alongside of me, sitting at the feet of some of the greatest scholars of our time in that particular region, only to turn around and apostate from Islam. Can you imagine someone who was Muslim, converted to Islam, then after converting to Islam is given an opportunity to go to Saudi Arabia, to go live in Medina, live in Medina, sit underneath some of the greatest scholars in that region, Greatest opportunity that only a select few from amongst us will ever have, only to turn around and apostate from Islam. If something like that can happen to someone like that, what about you? Nobody is safe from that. Nobody is impervious to that. And this is why we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, don't test us in our deen. Because this person, and I know more than one, it's not just one, it's many. I know off the top of my head, at least four, I know off the top of my head, at least four brothers who were students of knowledge in the university and left the university, not only left the university, but left Islam. Off the top of my head, I can think of four right now. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guide them back to Islam. May Allah return them back to this religion. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not allow them to die in that state. They are worse than somebody who was never Muslim. Because you not only converted to Islam, but you were actually in Medina. And it was in Medina you decided you didn't want to be Muslim anymore. It was in Jeddah, because many of them, they left Medina, they went to Jeddah, they start working in Jeddah, start making a lot of money, being surrounded by, you know, the city life of, of Jeddah, and which is only a few kilometers from Mecca, la ilaha illallah, you are closer to Mecca in Jeddah than you are in Medina, and you decide to apostate from Islam, la ilaha illallah. If you could be just a few miles from Mecca, and decide that you don't want to be Muslim anymore. And what about those of us who live here in America, thousands of, thousands of miles away from Mecca? <laughs> this individual was living in the city of Jeddah, which is the very next city over from, from Mecca. <laughs> yeah, I mean, subhanAllah, I mean, do not place our trials and tribulations in our religion. Don't test me in my deen. Don't test me in my faith. And some of us listening right now, you are teetering. You're teetering. One moment you got one foot in Islam, next minute, and you're, you're listening right now because you're hoping to hear something that will keep you grounded as a Muslim, that will keep you grounded in Islam. Some of you are listening right now because you turn this on because you are teetering. You feel your faith slipping away from you and you feel like, let me turn this on. Let me listen because perhaps he'll say something and I'll hear something and it'll reinforce, you know, my faith in Islam. But let me tell you something. Nothing I can say in this live will reinforce your faith in Islam. Even if I do, it is only temporarily because it is not the solution to your problem. It is not the root of your problem. The root of your problem stems from your relation, your direct relationship between you and God, you and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
and hearing something that pulls you back into Islam, then you're going to constantly find yourself drifting and then, you know, hoping to be pulled back in. Drifting, hoping to be pulled back in. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says about this in the Quran, إِنَّ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا ثُمَّ كَفَرُوا ثُمَّ آمَنُوا ثُمَّ كَفَرُوا ثُمَّ ازْدَادُوا كُفْرًا لَمْ يَكُنِ اللَّهُ لِيَغْفِرَ لَهُمْ وَلَا لِيَهْدِيَهُمْ تَرِيقًا إِلَّا تَرِيقَ الْجَهَنَّمْ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, indeed, those who believe and then disbelieve, and then believe, and then disbelieve, this wavering back and forth, back and forth. Today, I'm going to be a good Muslim. And by the end of the night, I'm like, eh, I don't really know if I really want to do this. I'm a good Muslim for this week. And then, you know, something pops up in my life and just kind of pulls me away from Islam altogether. I haven't prayed in weeks. You know, it's like a person who goes on, you know, like a, a drug, a drug addict, you know, who just kind of goes on, you know, they break their sobriety and then go on this whole, you know, journey of, you know, binging, you know, on their addiction. And then they try to come back once they realize they've, you know, gone for such a long time. And then it's like, you know, I need to come back to my sobriety. I need to, you know, settle down and I need to get my life together. Islam, faith doesn't work like that. That's not true faith. True faith is not, I got it today and tomorrow I don't have it. That's not true faith. True faith is you recognizing that I have one purpose here and one purpose only, and that is to serve my creator. That's it. Everything else in my life is complementary, complementary to that initial objective. Everything, work, marriage, children, friends, social life, traveling, all of that is complementary to me doing what I was put here to do, and that's to serve my creator. Do you understand? Everything else is complementary. Everything else, marriage, children, work, leisure, play, sports, everything else is complementary to the initial goal of you being here for one reason and one reason only, and that is to serve Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Serve your Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala. Everything else is complementary. And when you are wavering between believing and not believing and, you know, one minute I feel like I'm a good Muslim. When you're wavering, that means that you have accustomed tariq. You have gone in the opposite direction. You get married. You have children. You have relationships. You travel. You work. You make money. All of that. And belief in God is complementary to that. You see the difference between the two. That's why you're wavering. That's where the wavering comes from. Faith in God is not complementary to any other human agenda, any other human endeavor. When you look at life from that scope, from that lens, you will always waver in your faith in God. You understand? You will always waver in your faith in God because you have made God, faith in God, complementary to every other human agenda and, you know, uh, endeavor or pursuit that you have. And that's not the way that it works. Faith in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, here to serve God and God alone, that is the foundation, that is the sole purpose that we exist. And everything that we do is to complement that. Even when we go on vacation, you take a vacation, you go on vacation, you spend a week on vacation with your family, that is complimentary. How is that complimentary? Because you need a break from the monotony. You need the break from the monotony of life. And even when you're traveling, you're still meeting Muslims, you're finding out where the mosque is. It doesn't matter where I travel, it doesn't matter where I go. I'm going to, if it's Friday, I'm going to Juma. I'm going to find a masjid. I don't care where I am. I'm going to find a masjid in Puerto Rico, found the masjid, although I didn't have the opportunity to get there. It was kind of far from where I was. 
Turks and Caicos found the masjid. We're going to go pray. We're going to find the masjid. I don't care where I am. We're going to find the masjid and we're going to go pray. Doesn't matter where I am. Because even though I'm on vacation, even though I'm taking a break, it is still complementary to my overall goal and my overall objective of life, and that is to serve my creator. You understand? Anytime you put the, you, you make it the opposite, and that is that, you know, you have your life, you have your life and your children and your work and your family, and then you make a little bit of time for God. If you got time, you will always find yourself wavering. Because that's not real faith. That's not the blueprint for how faith works. That's not the blueprint for how faith works. And don't place our trials and tribulations in life in our religion. Test me and everything else. Just don't test me in my faith. And do not make the life of this world, right? The, the extent of my knowledge or my biggest concern. Do not make the life of this world my biggest concern, nor the extent of my knowledge. There are many Muslims who have knowledge about so many things in the world, but you ask them about some of the most basic fundaments of Islam and they can't answer you. But you got knowledge about everything else. You know what Nietzsche said, you know what this one said, you know what Rumi said, you know what this person said, but I ask you some of the basics of your religion. You can tell me what engineers do and what this has and knowledge of that and you got knowledge about everything else as it relates to the world. You have very little knowledge about the basics, the basic fundaments of your religion. Do not make the life of this world my biggest concern, nor the extent of my knowledge. Meaning my knowledge does not go beyond the worldly knowledge. When it comes to my religion, it comes to my religious duties, it comes to my relationship with God, I got to go ask the sheikh, I got to go ask the imam. But you a scholar when it comes to everything else. MashaAllah, tabarakallah. The dunya is your greatest concern. You know what is happening with the Democratic Party, the Republican Party, what this one is doing, what Biden is doing, and you can politics, you can run it all down. But then when it comes to the basics of your religion, mind shape. What that shape? MashaAllah tawarakal. And do not make the hellfire our end goal. And make paradise our final destination. And lastly, he said, And do not place over us as a result of our sins, someone who will not fear you concerning us, nor have mercy upon us. You don't want anybody over you that is not going to fear God concerning you, nor have mercy on you. You don't want a person over you. You don't want to have a person having authority over you, whether it's your boss, whether it's your wife, whether it's your husband, whether it's your children, it doesn't matter. People position themselves to have authority over you. But if a person has authority over you, then you want them to fear God concerning you and you want them to have mercy on you. You don't want Allah to place someone over you that will have authority over you and not have mercy upon you, nor fear God concerning you as a result of the sins that you have committed. 
that within itself is a whole entire discussion that we don't have the time nor the space, you know, to, you know, comment on. But just realize that, you know, just know that sometimes someone is placed as an authority over us as a result of some of the sins that we have committed. And the Prophet ﷺ used to seek refuge from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, used to seek refuge with Allah from having someone, rijal, having someone have authority over you. I like to be independent. I don't want anybody having any type of authority over me. I cannot handle that. I don't function well under those type of circumstances. So I constantly make Allah, make this dua that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala do not place anybody as an authority over me. And the reason why Allah places people as authorities over us is as a punishment, sometimes as a punishment for us because we don't respect his authority over us. You don't respect God's authority over you, then Allah places somebody over you as an authority that will not be merciful, that will not be compassionate. And then what we do, we turn to Allah in that moment, <laughs> right? Right? As a woman, you have to be very careful who you choose as a husband who has authority over you. Because sometimes the authority that you choose is the authority that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala co-signed. Allah signed off on that authority because you needed it, right? Your disobedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So as a woman, you're living the high life, you're disobeying Allah, you're wearing whatever you want to wear, you come out, you do you, whatever. You choose this particular husband and he becomes a tyrant in the home. And then what do you do as a result of that? You turn and you make dua, you turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it was because of that tyrant husband that Allah placed over you that you finally, finally turned to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But before that, you were doing you. Before that, you were doing you. But then you go after this man, seemed very handsome, very nice, seemed like he was going to be a good husband. And then he comes in and he's a tyrant. And what do you do as a result of that? You turn towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Finally, you turn to Allah. But look what it took. It took for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to place somebody over you that had no mercy on you, that forced you to turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to ask Allah to remove him from you. You don't want to end up like that. You don't want to have to go that route in order for you to come back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَلَا تُسَلِّتْ عَلَيْنَا بِذُنُوبِنَا مِنْ لَا يَخَافُ كَفِينَا وَلَا يَرْحَمُنَا And do not place over us as a result of our sins someone who will not fear you concerning us nor have mercy on us. So profound. So this is the dua uh, narrated on the authority of Abdullah ibn Umar collected in the jami of Imam al-Tirmidhi. The hadith was graded sahih by Shaykh al-Albani and hopefully inshallah ta'ala we, we learn some, some jewels from this dua. Hopefully you can go back and listen to this again inshallah line for line. You can memorize the dua at very least in English if you have the capacity to learn it in Arabic so that when Ramadan comes around again and you hear this dua being made, then you now know what this dua means, right? Allahumma qsim lana min khashatika ma tahulu bihi baynana wa bayna ma'asiyatik wa min ta'atika ma tuballighuna bihi jannatak wa min al-yaqeen ma tuhawinu bihi alayna masaib al-dunya wa matti'na Allahumma bi asma'ina wa absarina wa quwatina abadan ma abqaytana waj'alhu al-waritha minna waj'al thaarana ala man zalamana wansurna ala man adhana ولا تجعل مصيبتنا في ديننا ولا تجعل الدنيا أكبر همنا ولا مبلغ علمنا ولا إلى النار مصيرنا وجعل الجنة هي دارنا ولا تسلط علينا بذنوبنا من لا يخافك فينا ولا يرحمنا برحمتك يا أرحم الراحمين آمين 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 Hopefully, inshallah ta'ala, you guys will find some benefit in this. Jazakumallahu khayram for joining me this morning. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward you all. Uh, got a few moments for a couple of questions, inshallah ta'ala, uh, if they are related to the topic.
Uh, and I just wanted to say thank you to all who donated last night. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward you all. Jazakumullah khairan. We were able to uh, collect that. Uh, I think it was like $1,000 last night. Alhamdulillah. Nonetheless, very much appreciated. But please continue to donate. Please to continue to donate until we get our facility. We need your help. Cannot do it without you. The Muslim community, we stand up for one another. We aid and assist and support one another. So as long as that aid and support is complementary to uh, obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So please continue to donate. Our cash app is the cash app sign, Rolda Islamic Center. And our PayPal and Zelle is our email, Rolda Islamic Center of Delaware at gmail.com. You can also go to our website to donate on www.RoldaIslamicCenterOfDelaware.com. Uh, and please stay in tune for, you know, stay in touch with us for uh, some of our events that we have coming up, inshallah ta'ala. Uh, I posted a concern above. I'd like for you to speak to. I can email it to you. What's what's your concern? I haven't. I didn't see. I didn't see your concern. What's your concern? Uh, some of us experience that disobedience to bring us back to Allah due to a traumatic marriage or experience. Absolutely, it wasn't a loss. It was a gain. It was a loss in the sense that this person was, you know, a tyrant or this person was, you know, disobeying a law concerning your rights. But think about the good. Uh, yes, you can email it. You think about the good that came out of that, and that is that you've drawn closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as a result of that traumatic experience. And alhamdulillah, that was the good that came out of it. That's the silver lining, right? That's the silver lining. Any other questions? Not a problem. You can email it. Any other questions? Comments? If not, then we'll stop here, inshallah. جزاكم الله خيرا وصلى الله على نبينا محمد وعلى اله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا وسبحانك ربك رب العزه عما يصفون وسلام على المرسلين وعلى اله وصحبه اجمعين واخر دعوانا ان الحمد لله رب العالمين والسلام عليكم ورحمه الله وبركاته وجزاكم الله خيرا You can send the email to Imam Shadid Muhammad at gmail.com. Imam Shadid Muhammad at gmail.com.